Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's O'Cody over here, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, where are we at today, and who are we talking to? Hey, Cody boy, it's just another great day in the Osage, man. Cody, we're in Ponca City, Oklahoma, in the home of uh, Mr. Frank Braden. Uh, Frank was a uh, one of the good, really good steer ropers and calf ropers back in the uh, '60s. Uh, he made the finals like three times in the steer roping, and uh, just one of the really top top ropers and roped with all those greats like Olin and Sonny Davis and guys like that, Jim Bob and and uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of old stories to tell us. And and his dad uh, actually knew Henry Grammer. And he's got a probably knows about as much about Henry Grammer as anybody living today. So we're going to get into all that. And uh, Frank had a uh, some boys that roped good, and and uh, Bucky was rookie of the year, and and uh, a couple of grandsons are top team ropers, and so they're just a pretty ropey bunch, and a lot of history there. So we're going to get into all that. And Frank, uh, welcome to the Cowboys the Old Sage Podcast. Okay, thank you for coming over. Appreciate it. Well, Frank, where were you guys, uh, where were you born and raised at? I was born and raised right here in Polk City, only on the Osage County line. It's <laughs> been 85 years ago. Gosh, dang. Time flies when you're having fun, don't it? Yeah, I think it does, for sure. <laughs> How are them grand boys of yours doing? Are they uh, roping up a storm, both of them? Uh... Barry doesn't rope much anymore. He's got he'd had a, a accident or two, and he's got a boy that that ropes pretty good, and he lives in Arkansas. Oh, okay. And, and uh, I don't get to see him but two or three times a year. But uh, Barry had a car wreck or two, and it just messed up his shoulders. And anyway, he just can't. Uh, you know, he's just. Does more work than he does roping anymore. He got to the age where it's not as much fun. So. Boy, howdy, that ain't like him at all to to work <laughs> over rope. Usually he would rope over work. Yes, that's right. <laughs> What's wrong with him, Jimbo? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's smarter than Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys, uh, what did your family do here in, in Osage County when you were growing up? Well, we uh, handled some cattle and had a, few bears and colts and stuff that way we raised our own horses and anyway it was just uh in the winter time we'd put cattle on wheat and in the summertime we had grass enough to handle a few steers and stuff and it was just a uh, you know everybody's worked for the other one kind of but when we was younger people but anyway it's uh, the horse business has kind of gone out and uh, got rid of the bears and got too old to, to worry about it anymore. So, <laughs> Did your dad rope any, Frank? Yeah, he could rope, but that's, you know, he just kind of a pasture roper. Mm-hmm. He had bad knees and he he couldn't get off a horse, but he could sure go rope one and yeah. turn him around. But he just... Uh, he didn't really worry about the kids. You got if you're on the rope, you just rope. If you don't, you don't. So yeah, yeah. But I've got a 
a brother that he wouldn't give $30 for all the horses in Oklahoma. Now, why, I don't know, but anyway, I still handle a few horses and stuff myself, but I got to have somebody to do the roping anymore. I don't have a... Who taught you to rope, Frank? Sir? Who, done, who did all the teaching on you to rope? Who taught you how to rope? Well, I hate to say it, but nobody. I oh. just had to learn it myself and how to go about training a horse to to rope steers on or rope calves on and I've had two or three pretty good horses and anyway it's just uh, it's it's always been my life is to rope but to, I didn't have a, a early enough trainer you know the time you learn something about a horse well you you kind of got a do what he wants to do up to a point but anyway i had a, a horse one time that uh he was bad in a chute that i'd bought and uh, anyway he just spin around that chute like a a bull would a spinning and so i got me about a two foot chain and anyway when he went to spinning i hit him right between the ears and, and he turned around and he ran off and run jumped the fence with me. Only thing, he jumped about four inches too low. And it's when he hit the ground, I was still a straddle of him upside down. And it took about six months to get over that, but it broke my pelvis in two or three places and a lot of ribs. And so I learned a little bit there, you know, but there wasn't nobody around to tell you not to do it, you know, but I did find out, so. And I've had a horse that, uh, a calf pony that he was well broke. He was just a coming four-year-old, but he'd had a few cattle cut on him and handled good and had a natural stop. In 30 days, I hold him to his first rodeo. But he did, when he stopped, he just jumped back. He didn't drag his feet back. He'd jump back. And if you had your hand on the saddle horn, he'd... You'd, you'd be pinned to him until he, but he'd just bow up and just jump straight backwards and just tear calf's head off. And I, they just, I couldn't practice much on him because he's killing my calves. But anyway, we had a, a pretty good season or two. And back then, those days, you could jerk a calf down on his head or whatever, but he'd jerk him up in the air. Then that's when he jumped back and, and he wouldn't, uh, you know, he wouldn't sit up or nothing. He'd just run his heart out and then you'd rope and he'd just about beat you to every punch. And anyway, nowadays you'd rope a calf, jerk him down, they flag you out or charge you $50 fine or something. He would be worth nothing now. But it, in his days, you couldn't drive up to a rope and somebody was wanting to try to buy him. And uh, finally got to where I went ahead and sold him. And, but he made a good horse for a lot of people. I think Kelly Corbin wound up with him when he was an older horse. And he was a, a he was a grandson of Leo, and he could run and he could stop and he was real active. But anyway, I had a, a lot of fun out of him. I never, never hit him with a rope, never done nothing to him, but I roped a calf at, at a roping and that, rope broke and hit him right between the eyes 
And it took about a month to get him to where he wouldn't drag a calf out from under you. But uh, I never hit him with a rope or never had to do anything to him, just ride him. And he was core good. He was a smart horse. And, but anyway, I just had a, a, you know, just a decent kind of horse to start with and log them and, and uh, just rope enough steers on them. Just keep a rope until they got right. So, How big were them calves you were roping back then, jerking well, them down? Well, it'd just be somewhere between 2 and 250 or something like that. But he could jerk a calf down if a calf would just be a loping. I mean, he'd just tear one's head off. Uh, he hurt He hurt the calves pretty bad. But in those days, you had to kind of have have a good horse. But nowadays, your calf down, and, and if you don't be six or seven, eight seconds, well, you don't get any money back. But this, them calves that you're open nowadays, they, they couldn't take what he had. He was a, a natural horse. He just learned quick and he didn't cheat you and uh, every time he wanted to tune him up was just sit on him and kind of get him back a little bit and go rope and whether it's on grass or on the plowed ground you know but I had a lot of fun with him and but anyway I had another calf pony coming on that I liked better but anyway somebody wanted worse than I did so anyway <laughs> Well, that's the way the world goes around. Yep. Well, you, like most people, I guess, started out calf roping. When did you get the steer roping bug? Well, it was probably, I was probably about 15 years old, 16, somewhere in there. I didn't get to rope with anybody. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anybody log a horse or, or raid a horse or, you know, learn him to raid himself. Mm -hmm. You can't rope and and uh, be pulling on your horse to slow him down in the stair opens. You got to, uh, I made some uh, thing that I used on horses and it, uh, you could take all the, all the runaway horses away from him. But anyway, you'd, uh, all you gotta do is run to a steer about, take a week to do it, but I'd probably do it in two or three days, but I had a, an easy stop that I had made and uh, you, you talk to a horse, use your voice. You'd be running to a steer too fast and say, whoa, whoa. And that horse would just back off and rate. But uh, I kind of liked the horse that would duck off. And the way I roped, or tried to, I would, uh, you rope his horns and, and you just, you'd already have your trip, so they couldn't get away from you. you didn't, even, they thought they was ducking off, but but I could rope on him, and I had a horse that I needed to win some money, and, and every time I rope, but this, uh, it really made a good horse out of them where they don't, you just can't rope and have a pulling on his head or having to duck him off or nothing. I used to take a piece of bailing wire and whip him down over the, jaw on the right side so they'd sure enough get away and uh, you don't leave a steer standing very long when you got your trip down so anyway that got a call coming in that you no sir oh that's frank
Here, Leslie. Do you want to take it from him? There it stopped. There it went. <clears throat> you, uh... You said you used to rope on grass. Was that quite a bit, or was that just at, at rodeos at, like, Pendleton? Well... At uh, Fairfax, they had a grass arena for a lot of years when I was a kid growing up. And, and anyway, I didn't know any better one to another, but uh, I never did have a horse jerk down or nothing like that. But they'd slide a long ways and kind of burn their hocks once in a while. But anyway, it was just uh, and at Pendleton, I roped up there, and I never did get a horse down but I did get my ankle broke, horse ducked out from me up there one time. And anyway, he's, there's a plastic fence around the racetrack and the arena. And that horse looked up and saw that I'd stepped over in a stirrup. Anyway, I knew he was going away too fast while I stepped over that stirrup on a steer. And, and that horse ducked away and just dropped me down on my left foot and throwed my ankle out of place and broke it and it was only about 1800 mile drive home with a big old cast on your foot so had about all that i wanted so but anyway it's been a it's been a kind of an experience that you probably have to just go through yourself to see what what's what but the roping nowadays out there is not anything like what it used to be they used to bulldog them steers at Cheyenne, and then they'd take them out to Pendleton, Oregon, put them up in the mountains and let them fill up with grass and stuff. And when they'd turn you loose, you had the width of the racetrack around there to be, you could have that much room to go to rating your horse back so you didn't break the barrier. But uh, them cattle had run hard. And if you go be 20, 21 or two, you're level in a day money. But I saw Clark McIntyre run one out of sight out there one time, and he tied him 17 seconds, but he was way down the arena. And I thought there'll be somebody slip in on one of them steers that don't run. And they never did, and they'd let him win the day money, and it was a pretty good run. It was He tied good and rope good too, but... Anyway, it just, uh, you could be a, you could jump the horse over that plastic fence if you could get him to, but uh, that's not natural for most rodeo folks' horse, you know, but but this old horse just ducked out and went right, and I went left, so after I got home, I, they never did I'd let the swelling come in my leg, they just put a cast on it. By the time I got home, I'm telling you what, I was tired of that uh, damn cast on my, my leg. So I went up there and I, to our doc, doctor here at Punk City, and, and the nurse come in there to see what I needed. And I said, I need somebody to cut this cast off. I said, I'm tired of it. So anyway, she took it off and she said, you be sure and come back in the morning. And said, we'll, uh, we'll put you on another cast. And I said, well, don't wait on me to come back. But, I sure do want you to take it off right now if you don't mind. So, and we did that, and everything healed up in about two or three months, and away we went again. But it was just a, a freak accident. But I don't know. I've had a, a few times that uh, you're going to get, I got a half hitch over my 
arm one time on a young horse, and if it had been a real good horse and a 300-pound calf, I think it would cut the arm off. And I can still show you on my arm where it cut the cut into my hide. So anyway, it's just been a, a learning process through my life, it seems like. But, do you know Richard Gonzalez? Yes, I do. Here, I don't know. It's been a few years ago, but he got a half itch over his arm, yeah. calf roping, and it cut his arm. It cut his wrist off, completely okay. off, and they uh, they reattached it. Yeah, they sewed it all back on. They cut his hand completely off, Jimbo, mm. and they sewed that booger back on. Can you believe that? I, I remember one guy that got it around his neck roping calf. Who yeah. was it? Was that Ab Deacon or who was that? Well, there was a boy that uh, was I was roping with him and stuff at certain rodeos up in Wyoming and anyway that boy got a half hitch around his neck and the horse run off and run to a fence and he had to talk through a little uh, new made voice mm-hmm. thing so but anyway he made it through it with that half hitch around his neck so he do not know how he got it or where he's going to get another one but that's what he told me, because I was riding around there with him, I said, I've got a half hitch over my, that, uh, a damn uh, arm. And I said, I know what it'd feel like, what you're going to. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm lucky to be alive. And I said, I don't know who he was, so, but he had that hole in his throat, so it looked bad. Sounds like a bad old deal. Any time that a, a rope is tied solid to your saddle horn, and something goes haywire, you're going to get the worst end of the deal. So, person shouldn't ever rope practice arena by themselves, you know. That's right. You ought to always have somebody there and with a good sharp knife that can help you. But most of the time, actually, if you're roping steers or calves, yeah, like you said, if you're tied solid. Well, if most of the time, I'd say that 90% of the uh accidents is at home practicing because you rope so much more there at home and young horses and you just don't pay attention you know and it's something that you you gotta just be told and if you don't do a rope right and uh, stuff well of course you can't dally and do much calf roping but anyway you just gotta be a little careful and can't uh, you can't over push a horse too hard. You don't need to whip him with a rope. Show him something two or three times, four or five times, whatever it takes. And then it goes to the point where you you put a stop on a horse that just can't even stop. I've got enough material here at my house that if you run 10 calves on him, he'll start stopping like when you want him to and he'll lay down and do your job but anyway some horses can take it some of them can't you know they they get all hyper and stuff and and they don't need to rope 40 or 50 calves a day on a horse but you gotta you gotta run 10 or 12 calves a day and uh, tomorrow he'll be a little better horse you got to have a horse to, that keeps doing his job what you you train him to run to the same place. You, when your slack goes by his head, well, he needs to be laying down stopping. But any more than little old calves they rope and stuff, well, 
you just don't want to jerk one down. It takes too long to get them up and stuff, but they just rope little calves, and the horses don't stop there. That's good, but... Well, the steer horses are a lot different now, too, today, aren't they, Frank? Yes, they are. They are, absolutely. I mean, they used to have trouble with horses charging, you know. Yeah. You know, like you were talking about them rating, you know, they'd charge, and yeah. they'd, they'd go more by the cattle, and then they'd circle to the right after you got off. And a lot of times, roll the steer back on his feet and stuff. Right. You know, that was a problem. That's exactly right. And you don't see that anymore. No. Well, they roped them little steers weigh about 450 pounds, and I roped a, a steer, too, that, that would weigh a 1,000 or over. Yeah. And I guarantee you'll sit down when you get to the end of it, and then a horse can drag its bed log right. But mm-hmm. anyway, these these modern-day uh, 10, 12-second steers, just, they just have to have a little old horse about 14 hands and let you rope and go on from there. But yeah. They got to drag a steer straight, whichever way you point him, he needs to go straight. Right. And uh, go to the left, and he don't want to step to the right anymore either. So, right. Anyway, I think it uh, it's good to rope with somebody that has already roped, and I never got that opportunity. And uh, we had to kind of get the right kind of horse to start with, and. I've roped on a steer horse one time, and uh, he'd never been logged, but he's really a cowbroke horse. I mean, he was a nice horse, and I tied uh, three or four steers on him every one day, and that was just decent. Yeah, there wasn't no training to it. He just, when you rope a steer, you wasn't trying to be, you know, 14 or 16 or something like that. You'd just go if you tie a steer in 20 seconds on a green horse you've done a pretty good job so yeah. anyway that's just uh there's guys that's uh roping really good nowadays and they probably don't even know hardly how to shoe their own horse you know they got too much money in their pockets and i never was at that problem so <laughs> this rodeo was hard on my pocket to be honest with you <laughs> yeah. my whole life yeah. but there ain't a better life yeah. you, for you, me you mentioned Clark McIntyre a while ago, and, and you roped against some of the all-time greats, didn't you, in your era? Yes. It was a... Some sun- of the greatest that's ever lived, yep. Jimbo. Right. Sonny Davis was awful, awful good roper and quick. He wanted to be quick, and he could be. I always ask people that was from that time period, what would Sonny Davis tie these cattle in today? Oh, I'd say he could be... Uh, I could say he could be 10 just about any time of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just had a natural rack. Uh, whenever he got one roped, what he's done, tuck, turning left, you know. He don't worry about the rest of it. But anyway, he's had some pretty bad wrecks in his life, right, too. Right, I know he swallowed his tongue up there one time, and a lady happened to know what was wrong with him, and he, she took a, a pocket knife and pried him apart he'd swallowed his tongue see that's kind of bad news but he kind of got in this jam down and and uh, at the end of the arena i don't know what his real problem was but he was in bad shape when he hit the ground so hmm. he lived right on foot but yeah he had a terrible good horse and you couldn't tell how good the horse was because he could rope as good as the horse was he was really a good horse 
and he's really chargy. It's Palomino horse. Yeah, I remember him. Do you? Uh, big Britches or something, I think he called him, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. But uh, he just, if he got a trip, fine. If not, well, he'd stare right out of his shoes off of him. So he was a stout horse, and if you just hit him straight ahead with no trip on him, he's going to go down anyway. So, you know, just like that. But there were some Jim Bob Altizer and them kind of guys, and uh, that's when Everett Shaw was roping, and he was really a good roper and had good horses. And, but he was trying to shoot for 18 or 20-second tie, but uh, it, time just goes on, and people get to being a little quicker, you know. So, But anyway, I had to start with my horses. It was just, just horses, and, and I learned a little bit every day, and... Uh, had some bad wrecks with them, and, and I never did jerk one down on me, but I've been pretty close to losing the arm and stuff, just roping calves, and I thought, that's about as bad as I want to get. So, anyway, the old chiropractor, I had to go to him for a doctor, and when I had my arm laying on a pillow, about 15 miles to town, and anyway, the time we got there, uh, my wife was driving a car, and I said, I sure wish you'd miss them bumps and <laughs> and uh, just slow down a little bit. Anyway, that doctor reached to get my arm, and I said, Doc, she's broke. I said, ain't no need to worry about taking x-ray. But he went ahead and got my arm and looked at it and the pictures and stuff, and he said, you big baby, said, that arm's not even broke. I said, look where this rope come around. And he said, yeah, I can see where it's been. But he said, he said, you don't want to do that too often. I said, I won't do it again. I promise. <laughs> and so far I didn't. But I probably won't ever get another chance to get it either. So anyway. Boy, howdy. You broke your ankle up in Pendleton, you said. And yes. he did mention the 1,800-mile ride home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's probably before interstates came along or anything. It's probably two-lane road all the way up to Pendleton, 1,800 miles. What what <laughs> kind of rodeo rig did y'all have back then, Frank? Oh, we just had pretty good pickups and stuff. And I had a, a pickup on propane and had a 100-gallon tank in the back. Underneath the, this camper had a bed over that um propane tank and anyway we started out and old Clark McIntyre said said I'll believe I'll just drive this old pickup till I get the first tank of gas out and you can take over and I said well good luck and I said I'll just ride with you then he said and we drove and drove and drove and he said I don't know how much gas mileage we were getting, he said, but I'm telling you what, said this gas gauge, they never, <laughs> never give up. He said, it's just still on full. <laughs> anyway, I, we were way out in western Kansas, and I said, pull down to that co-op. He said, well, hell, we don't need any feed. I said, no, but I do. So we went down there, and I said, pull up that tank over there. And I got out, and that lady that run that co-op said, we don't have any help today, but said, you're welcome to go down there and fill her up with that propane and I said okay so I got in the back and crawled out of there and put that uh, filler hose onto my tank and old Clark said what are you doing back there and I said 
Well, I just going to get a little propane. He said, propane? What's that do? I said, well, that takes the place of gasoline. Anyway, we put her back together and went up by there to pay her. And I said, we got so many gallons of propane. She said, well, I said, I think it'd be about $7. <laughs> we done burned about 100 gallons out. <laughs> anyway, anyway, old Clark started driving again. I said, well, you want me to drive away? And he said, said, yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> anyway, before we got home from Pendleton, uh, he said, you know, I'm going to go get me one of them propane systems. He said, I like yours. <laughs> you could just about you could just about go a thousand miles on that tank of gas. And I said, you go from Polk City to Denver and back home when you only have to fill up. He said, it'd burn gas or propane either one, but I said, well, just uh, Keep using this old pickup till she lays down. He said, I don't blame you, but he said, I'm going to sure get me one. That's <laughs> what he did or not, I don't know. But we had lots of fun and heard lots of stories and stuff. But he, he usually not a, you know, a, a big talker or nothing, but he just, uh, he got excited about everything that you did that he didn't know about. Oh, Clark did. Yeah, he just, He'd just tell you about some stories and stuff that he'd had and experiences that was interesting. For me, it was. And, but you could get in that camper and uh, you'd love to sleep two, three hundred miles and not even wake up. So old Clark said, I like that too. And I said, well, when you get tired of driving, well, I'll have to take her a little ways. But we made her out there and made her back and he had a good time. One of Dave Bunny was there and he just had to, like a, a little kid the first time he went to town, I guess. I didn't like saying. But he was a good guy to travel with and had lots of experiences, and I like to hear that because he'd been around a long time. Uh, What's one of them you can uh, relate to us that he told you one time? Sir? What's one of those stories he told you one time? Oh. The best one. On Clark? That you can tell, yes, sir. Uh, he said he had uh, had an old banker down there, at, and uh, he said he was going along winter time and was up getting some little cattle out of Florida, weigh about three hundred pounds, and they needed to weigh five hundred. Anyway, he said, "I uh, got my old banker died." Said, "All you had to do is just go in there and tell him you bought so many head." And, Sign the note and go on. Said that old man in the bank died. He said, man, I went in there one morning. And he said, I had a load of cattle I'd need to pay for. I said, they'd buy feed and pay for your cattle and everything. <laughs> but anyway, this young guy said, uh, well, he st Clark said he made out a note there, and he'd push it over for me to sign, and then he'd pull it back. And he'd slide it over there again, and he'd, do the same thing. Said, well, come noon, that old banker said, said, well, by God, if that's the way you all done it, he said, I'm going to do it this time, but not again. Anyway, he, that old clerk signed that, but he said, I sat in there for three or four hours waiting on him to make his find up. And he thought that was the greatest thing he'd ever invented, yes. you know. <laughs> and just thing after thing. And we went through a canyon out there to, going to Pendleton and 
He said, see that land right over there? And I said, yes, I do. He said, that thing is full of bones. He said, they used to work a lot of these Chinese people. And he said, their knuckles and uh, just bones was laying out there on the thing. They was having a roping over it. And so they was out in the, in the arena. They pushed the dirt up there and made a big arena and started steer roping. And he said, damn, you get to where you look down. Every time he looked down, he said, there's some bones still coming to the top of the ground. Wow. But uh, when they'd work the rain up, you know, and stuff. But he said, it's kind of hard to rope for a steer to. He said, man, you just didn't know what he's going to do. But so it just kind of scared me. But anyway, he had just lots of horse stories and stuff. And, and anyway, he was trying to put a ranch together down there. No land wasn't costed over about $10 an acre. And he said, you know, I said, I could buy that. But he said, I just couldn't borrow that much money if they wanted. It's two or three or four thousand acres right next to him. And uh, he said, by God, he said, there's got to be some way. And he said, I could have sold half of it and made two or three dollars an acre on it. But he said, I didn't want to break it up or do that. He said, I just... He said, I finally got the money together to get that thing bought and $10 an acre. But he put uh, 12, 15,000 acres together down there, and he was, he was a poor boy rodeo hand, and he depended on that horse and his nylon rope. So that was his biggest thing that he worried about was just, where's the rope in that? Let's go. So, But I had a lot of fun with him, and we done a lot of... A lot of jabbering, you know. Anyway. Well, a lot of people don't know that Clark's dad was also a world champion yes. steer roper. Did you ever get to hang out with John McIntyre much? No, he'd quit roping. Clark was hooking a, a car to the, a trailer one morning, a horse trailer, and he said, Dad hollered at me, said, back up some more, and he said, and he, uh, he hit his dad and it kind of made him bad in the back. And he said he never could ride a horse or do anything like like he used to do. But he said he just, he made it and lived good. But anyway, it was sure enough. Uh, I know we went in at his dad's house one time. It was a long tin shed. And you had to duck down to get in. It was where they had a window in there, a big window. And he just put the green doors on it, and and the one end of the the tin shack there was was just cake feed and stuff like that, and the other end was his bed and had an ice box and a cooking stove and a round table. Hmm. And he said that's all they had to it. But I said, what about that car out there? And we went down there to his dad's place there and. And uh, anyway, a new Ford car was sitting there. Had four flats on it. And I said, damn, Dad's going to have a bad time on this tire business. He said, well, you know, he bought that car. And uh, he said, there's a couple of women want to take a little drive in it. And he said, you know, they've gone for two or three weeks. <laughs> and uh, things like that, you know, he didn't worry about nothing, but it just... <laughs> Things like that just didn't bug him much, but I never did remember seeing him rope or anything like that, but he was a, a pretty good, short enough, old-time 
rodeo hand. But they just lived from day to day, just, uh, you know, he didn't didn't have a cook or nothing, and everybody in the morning to stop there to drink coffee at his place, and that was at Limestone Gap, where it was. And uh, anyway, we down there, and it come a big rain, and old Clark's uh, dad was there, and we walked outside, and it's kind of muddy and stuff, and went out there to a round pen, and there was a saddle laying right out in the middle of that round pen, and he said, say, Dad, that's old so-and-so saddle. He said, won't you take that saddle and put it in there dry somewhere? He said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a borrowed saddle, see? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he said he took that saddle, or I saw him take it myself, and uh, he just throwed it over the fence, you know, hung it up on that round fence. That's as good as he got right there. He let it rain on it anyway, so... <laughs> But he just, uh, he was a common guy that had a lot of uh, experience and uh, need to win every time he went to a rodeo, but like anybody else. And anyway, he just, uh, he'd go off and be gone for two or three weeks and stuff like that, you know, and come home. And, uh, he made his, his ranch deal work, you know, a lot. And Reba kind of got to be a pretty famous singer and, I don't know. I'm I'm sure that whatever they needed money-wise, that life was pretty good for him until he died. So, well, you'd think so anyway. Oh, yeah. for sure. We were talking to Pake the other day, and he told us about uh, him and Reba's and first paying gig when they were singing was in the uh, lobby at the hotel in Cheyenne. Ike Rude, what gave him a dollar or something? Or every Shaw, I think. I thought it was Ike. It could have been. I've heard both ways. Yeah. yeah. I think Peck said Ike that day. Yeah. So Ike Rude paid them for their first mm-hmm. musical gig. But, you know, that's a pretty talented family. Oh, yeah. You know, two world champions. Yeah. And another guy that made the finals roping left-handed, which isn't supposed to be done anyway, steers very often. And uh, two very musical daughters. Yeah. You know, that's a that's quite the family. I mean, they really all did achieve yeah. something in life i feel like uh, well that's right you know that uh, and i'm proud to know him an old friend of mine that had loaned clark a, a steer horse and or a calf pony and he, he wanted me to go down there with him take that horse down there to clark at his house and he had a big old arena there and stuff and boy I run that calf out he said he he wanted me to get on him first see if he's gonna buck i guess but i'd been riding the horse all the time and he was a green horse, kind of, but to be a rodeo hand. And anyway, I roped two or three calves on him. And, and uh, I said, Clark, you want to rope some more? He said, no. I said, I didn't see all I need to. So, But he won uh, second at Cheyenne one time. He won on that horse. And he won uh, $1,600 on that horse. First time he took him to a rodeo. That's big money back then. Oh, yeah, it was. But uh, anyway, had that old steer horse with us. It was kind of a kid pony, really. And uh, old Clark pinned the steer there, and he said, well, get on that old pony there and tie this steer down. So I ran out there, and I roped him and took my time. And I wasn't very old, probably 16, maybe, 15, 16. 
Anyway, I tied that steer down. He said, well, come get another one. So I tied another one down, and he said, well, he's a pretty good old horse, ain't he? And he kind of stumbled around there, and I thought, well, he probably won't keep a steer horse. Well, but he's one that would kind of, uh, anybody that come to the to the roundup on that horse, well, he was usually a, a woman or a little kid or something. He's more of a kid pony than he was a steer horse, but old Clark, he didn't care where he run. He just kind of run in behind one and rope. But he was a he was a pretty tough roper. And uh, I know one time that he bought a horse and and he was they called him Big Belly, and he had a lot of calves roped on him. And he bought him and it took him right straight to a steer roping and won the steer roping on him. But he was a he was a burnt bred horse, and kind of a rodeo type horses back then. And, uh, they still make good rodeo horses, I think. Them burnt yeah. bred horses. Yeah, that's what you got. Uh, but that, you know, he wasn't particular about a horse or nothing. You know, really, he just we didn't charge or run over him. But Clark was kind of careful to run in behind the steer. He's afraid to get the front legs. The horse was charging get his front legs and the steer's hind legs mixed up, well, you're going to go for a fall in. That's why you want a horse to rate for you. So, But anyway, I got to where I would talk to my horse, and, and you want him to rate back, he definitely would. So, But I had a little tool I put on him, and he got to doing what I did. And you could, he'd drag off a little bit, but if you'd uh, put a jerk line on there, that'd easy stop and let him run the full distance. I got him to where you could just log him with a fence post, and, and he just run to you as hard as he could and just shut her down right then. But it took a little doing, but I had to rope by myself, so I didn't know what to do with him. So I knew what I had to do, because that's the only way I had known it. But I'd, I'd break away from 15 or 20 cattle a day, and he just kept being charged, and I didn't like that at all. So. Anyway, it's just uh, young guys don't have to learn to shoe their horses and train their horses and stuff like that. There's too much money available, you know. And somebody buys them a horse, they just go to rope, and that's all they know. So, Well, they don't got that kind of time on their hands. No. They, they got to get to the rodeo. Yeah. Right then, I yeah. guess. Cause yeah, I remember we, we made all our own horses growing up, for sure. Yeah. And put a lot of miles on them. Um, when we wasn't roping on them, we'd use them yep. on top of it. Sure. And uh, it seemed like they sure lasted a lot longer well, than they do now. You'd see a lot of old horses being sold, mm-hmm. <laughs> letting people learn to rope on them and, and mm-hmm. haul them. I mean, how many old horses back in your day did you see switch hands that stayed good horses, yeah. you know, for a long, long time? Yeah. Yeah, I used to go with a guy once in a while. He had a, a little gray Wagner bred horse and, Boy, you could tie steers on him as fast as you wanted to, or, or you could run in there behind the calf, and boy, he'd just tear a calf's head off. And uh, and he finally got to where he was a good bulldogging horse. He could really run. He was just the right size, about 14'2", and he uh, was a smart horse. He could just do whatever you wanted to do, you know, not what he's going to do. It's what you want him to do, so... But I kind of got to where I trusted him, and uh, I rode him quite a bit. So, what yeah. about ropes and pig and strings? You just didn't order them from uh, 
Smith Brothers or the National Roper Supply, they wouldn't, were they pre-made back then or did you have to make your own picking strings? Did you have to tie your own ropes off? What's the difference in today's ropes and picking strings? Well, then to date, then, you know, then when you, you were using them, Mr. Frank. Yeah. Well, we was out there at Pecos one time at the 4th of July rodeo, and here come old Clark with the whole batch of ropes and stuff. And he sat down there in the hallway of that uh, hotel was where we sat and staying in there, and in big old alleyways downstairs on the bottom there. And he strung them old, this regular old rope, things together and, or made them about six foot or so and he made them all up there and he said well we got the winter supply of of tie ropes and I said yeah I said looks like they'll work he said oh yeah I said them's the only kind I ever used but then nylon ropes come to the head and everybody was using them nylon strings but it's just uh, everything, it changes. You know, they didn't have them poly ropes to rope horns or calves, either one. But uh, I've got a, a rope right here that uh, it's not big enough to even worry about. And that's what they're using for this head and healing. And uh, I wouldn't trust it for nothing. It's a nylon combination of stuff. Well, my grandson gave it to me one day and he said, you might need this. And I said, I sure probably will. <laughs> Be a little little use out of them. But anyway, he said, well, I want you to have this one. So, But he just bought it off the wall, you know. And, and I don't suppose anymore they could just really make one to, to do the job. But I know that Alan Keller come to rope steers one time and he was telling them, with uh, regular soft cotton uh, ropes, you know, about big rounds of lead shank, you know, be that's what he tied steers with. But that'd be tough to rope with. I, he must I, have been yeah. a roping dude. I'd forgot about that. Well, that is what he was tying them with. Oh, okay. Tie strings. Oh, well, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yes. And I'd forgot about that, but I remember him. Boy, he could put a just a sloppy rat and a half hitch on it. It'd hold too, wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, it would. But he wasn't, uh, you know, eight or nine seconds. Uh, steer horse roper, but he could sure tie a lot of steers. And, yeah, and had a good horse. Yeah, eight or nine. Uh, uh, but I forgot about those big strings he wore till you said or used till you said that. Yeah. How long would a rope last you back then, Frank? Well, I liked them poly ropes myself. When I got, I had one good nylon rope. It was a, a limber soft rope, but you could rope short horn cattle or you could rope some big cattle with bigger loops and and then I got off it and I got to use nothing but them poly ropes because you could throw up quicker and and uh, it just to me it was better for me personally but uh, that's kind of the way that I went I don't know what they're used anymore but these guys is just it's all a different setup now they don't score them very far and they they might have a little old horse that just kind of go to the end of it, and that's about it. And, but back when you were roping some cattle that weigh 800 or so, by God, it took a pretty good horse, and you wasn't worrying about that 10-second tie. If you could just get him tied in 18 or 20, 21, you'd done a pretty good job. So 
if she's going to rope like three or four head at the same rodeo. But but I'd use one, probably four or five steers, and then I'd get another one because I knew that if it breaks down, it's going to break. And uh, and I just I never did break one roping the steer like that. But I didn't last them till they just wore out. They get soft and limber on the end and stuff that way where you where it goes around the horns and they they wrap them horns with uh, some kind of stuff to protect the horns from burning them. Anyway, that kind of eats your rope up as you go too. So that's why I didn't trust the the ropes that you roped with. But I like the poly ropes. They had some weight to them and you could throw them a little farther and a little faster and stuff that away so yeah those little nylons they didn't all feel feel good did they yeah you know, some of them were light and stiffer some of them were limber and but that's all they had at that time you know and that's what you rope with because that was a big improvement when they went to those poly ropes yeah i got one of those big nylons over at the museum right now in pahuska and it's one of the old ones from when ben johnson was roping and i tell you what it still feels pretty good to this day yeah. to swing but it's one of the real real old ones the blue blue nylon or something they called it back then but it's uh it's it was been broken one time because it's spliced down oh, there by yeah. the horn knot yes sir yeah but I've uh, seen that. it I've... still feels really good to this day i mean oh yeah i feel like i can't you know, i picked it up and i said this thing feels pretty darn good so that, it's that surprisingly might, a rope that's almost 100 years old feels that good. That might have been the one he took brought out there west of town that, with Harry Carey when he, I said that he got Everett Shaw to splice, splice his rope. It him. probably was. It sure might have been the same rope. Isn't that funny? There's been an awful good, there's been an, a good amount of rodeo cowboys come from this area. Well, that's all I, I've seen a lot more stuff go on and, and it was kind of nice to, the only thing I hate about the rodeo deal is when it come to an end and you stay there in your camper till the next morning and there ain't nobody in sight. <laughs> it's you drive, over. You drove three miles down beside the highway or something would have helped me, but wake up, nobody's there but you. So anyway, it was kind of fun, you know, but I just didn't like to see it end, I guess, I suppose. Who'd you travel with, Frank, besides Clark? Oh, Ben, uh, Ben Patterson. Yep. He, he was really a good travel boy. Yep. I mean, he really was. If you wanted to stop and get a pop or piece of ice cream or something, well, he'd just pull over. And uh, we uh, we traveled pretty good. And and uh, he called me one time and he said, uh, I was here in Polk City and I had a store at that time. And, he said, say, I got us entered out at Pendleton, Oregon. He said, we need to be there in about three days or something. I said, Lordy, I skate go Finn. I said, you just go to my place. He said, no. He said, I already got us entered and I can't get you undone. So anyway, he had little horses weigh about 9, 9.50. And I'd, I'd had him at my house and roped on him quite a bit. And anyway... He got on there, and he was going to win the roping. Or he did win the roping on that little horse, but I was probably at the end of 12, the top 12, I think, roped that year, and and I made it about the fifth or sixth place or something. And 
and I wrote before he did. Anyway, this little old steer stuck his head out, and damn, I tied him 15. And uh, about three or four or five cows, or steers later, oh, Ben jumped out there and tied one about 17 or something, one roping, I wanted to take it, and that little old horse, he didn't know any better what he's... But he was—he could drag the weight of what he was pretty near. He had a lot of go and a lot of guts. But anyway, he was a nice little horse. But most guys wouldn't have took him to a rodeo, probably. But Ben was a good hand with a horse, and he knew exactly what to do to make one stop and turn around. And he didn't pat him or baby him around. When he got ready to do something, he done it. So. But anyway, it just uh, you learn stuff every time that you go to a rodeo, it seems like. and You just got to kind of remember how to go home and train on it. So, But it's a, it's a fun deal. But back then, it just, the inner's fees was $50, and some of them, some of them $60. And God, you go to Pendleton, it costs $100 to get the rope. And so... It'll probably cost five hundred dollars now. I don't know. Probably it's been a while since I've roped there, and I think it's you know it's five or six hundred dollars to rope there, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But uh, it's not. I, I I love that rodeo up there. It's uh, honestly my favorite rodeo besides maybe Cheyenne. It's a yeah. it's just a great rodeo. They've held true to a lot of their traditions, which I really respect and enjoy up there. Oh myself. yeah, it's a real real good country up there. Good people there. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you need something and ask somebody something, or they can tell you. But you know, in Cheyenne, I forget how many people it takes to run that thing. Thousands. I mean, uh, and that uh, you go to the parade and it's worth watching. You know, I thought it was. It got all kind of old farm machinery that they used with horses and teams and stuff. And I had a a lot of enjoyment out of that, but. Anyway, it was, the people was always nice to be out there and everybody else, nobody caused any trouble and stuff. And Some of the cowboys did every now and then, but that's to be expected. Oh, yeah. Well, they got their certain. Their idea of fun and the uh, the townspeople idea was fun was two different things. Well, I'll tell you, old uh, boy used to be the representative for the bulldoggers and they were they getting fights and. <laughs> tear up stuff, you know, and anyway, he called a meeting there for the, all the bulldoggers to be at this meeting in the morning. Anyway, we sitting there, it wasn't nothing to me, but it wasn't nothing to do, but he, he gave him a talk and said, now boys, we're going to quit this, tearing up these cafes and fighting among ourselves and stuff, and he gave him a pretty good talk. <laughs> And he called some of them names. <laughs> anyway, uh, when he got done, he said, well, now, is anybody up there that, that feels like they want to change this thing or do something different? He said, just get yourself down here and we'll talk it over. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, that ended that. I mean, that conversation right there done a lot of good for people going to uh, somebody's town and half tearing up the beer joint or uh, some place that stayed open late at night. But it was, uh, he was a, 
a good guy, and he knew what he was talking about. And that ended all the bulldoggers. They'd all weigh 250 pounds, it looked like. They're just big old guys. And, but anyway, it was a it was an enjoyment for me, but it just wasn't something that you could uh, figure on going home and going to another one next week. You'd just go home, stay for a week or two, and maybe go to another one. And, but I had to be at home uh, as much as I could, and and you go to run out of money, you're going to go home anyway. So that's kind of the way it worked out. What did you do at Cheyenne? Did you ever have much luck at Cheyenne, Frank? I had a little bit of luck uh, there, and uh, it seemed to me like the bigger rodeos and stuff like that was easier than these uh, regular little rodeos. Uh, you, everybody takes a cinch deal. Everybody carries a second loop and stuff. Well, if as many ropers as go to Cheyenne and places, you know, 100, 150 to... So uh, they don't need to carry a second loop. But, but I won enough to keep you wanting to go back and win more. But yeah. uh, you didn't have to win first to, to get what you wanted. So if you had money to get home on, you're still pretty good shape. So Yeah, those go-rounds paid quite a bit up there then, you know. And yeah, they did. You win a go-round, you can make the national finals sometimes, you know, back then. I believe he could have. Cheyenne, I know. You used to be able to. Yeah. If you won Cheyenne, you were a shoe-in, oh, you yeah. know, until a certain point in the steer roping, for yeah. sure. Right. But uh, it's really something. It's really something. There is a very, very large amount of very, very successful rodeo cowboys come from this area right here, this, this area right here. Yeah, they've had quite it's, a bit of luck. Yes, sir. As far as I can tell, one of the earliest ones that are was the top-notch guys was Henry Grammer yes. to come to this area. You know, uh, I've read about him and read about him. They, they say he helped start the inaugural Calgary Stampede, and, you know, he eventually moved his way down here, had a little trouble in Montana. But... Uh, the prison warden loved him so much they gave him a saddle when he left to, to yeah. ride to Oklahoma <laughs> and a horse. So uh, you told me that Henry Grammer might have been your dad's hero yes. when they were younger. And uh, what can you tell us about Henry Grammer? There's very, very few people that has well a firsthand accounts of any of, of him. He was married to an Indian lady in Osage County. And uh, she at that time had some land and and when he married her, well, they they just broke out with getting along good. And anyway, she had two boys, and I knew both them boys. And they grew up to be alcoholics. They didn't. They lived in town, and and old Henry had already died and stuff. But anyway, he was a, a well thought of guy. Yeah, my dad thought he was a, should have been the president of the United States, but. Anyway, he liked him, and, uh, but I've got a picture or two of him, and I've got a book that I've read about half of it. And uh, Anyway, he was uh, everybody's hero, and uh, I know they had a, a steer open out here that my dad told about out in Osage County, about 10 miles out of town, and then the state of Oklahoma was trying to outlaw steer ropings. And that was kind of the favorite deal then. Instead of calf roping, they just steer roping. But anyway, there was 
bunch of deputies and stuff was around that rodeo and the first guy that run a steer down through there that's gonna arrest him. So nobody would rope, so anyway, he uh, he got, got his horse, got on him, back to shoot, tied him down, and uh, all them deputies and all them people just got in their cars and left. <laughs> they didn't argue with him. <laughs> but he was a well-thought-of guy. He wasn't bad as they thought he was. He did, he'd actually killed two or three people, and uh, one of them was over a roping. He was flagging the field. Henry Grammer was. And he flagged the guy out. Anyway, he started causing a lot of trouble, so he just killed him yeah. and went on. But he think he'd served, argue with the judge. <laughs> he'd served a little time in the penitentiary and stuff for that. And, but he'd traveled a little bit, and he knew this woman that, that owned this uh, property and stuff. They had cowboys and farmland and run cattle and uh, stuff that way. But, but he was the whole time, if some farmer was having trouble doing this, that, or another, uh, he'd take care of it. The people never, they never would turn on him. He was a good guy. But anyway, that's, uh, that's just the type of person he was. You know, he didn't, he didn't want nothing for nothing. He just was, you know, he'd rob a bank or something like that, you know, once in a while. But, you know, <laughs> didn't mean like nothing by it. No. Yeah. <laughs> they had insurance, probably. <laughs> but uh, my dad thought he was the greatest guy he ever saw. And, uh, well, he lived a life, though, it oh, seemed like. Yeah. Well, like, and, uh, I'm interested to see how they portray him in this new movie, you know, that Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, who was it that played him that came to the museum? His name's Sturgill Simpson. I gave him I gave him Frank's telephone oh. number. I don't think he ever called him, but I gave him Frank's number and yeah. said, uh, this is the closest connection to Henry Grammer you'll get. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. But it's, a, it's quite a, a... He was a hero and a good guy with it. And uh, the guys that worked for him, would, uh, they were supposed to have robbed the... Uh, a place where they make money and stuff out there around Denver. And Dad said uh, one morning about daylight, he said he looked out the, out the house, around the window, he said there come that whole party. They'd been out there robbed the Denver Mint. You know? <laughs> he said it's the only guy ever robbed the Denver Mint was him. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a story one time. Somebody came to his house, and they got into it, and he killed him right there in right off the front porch yeah yeah he could do that yeah <laughs> yeah it's just uh kind of a free-for-all you know but those two boys that uh uh that he raised and, and they were older than i was but i do them pretty well lewis and oh i forget the other's name right at the moment but uh they was bobby donaldson was staying with them. They was drinking all the whiskey they could find. And anyway, one day, come down there and he said, say, I got a pair of these old spurs that was Henry Grammer's. And I said, how do you do? He said, I need $25 for them. I said, well, I believe I'll just take them. <laughs> anyway, I give them to Bob Clark over at the Fairfax Bank to hang up there. They're hanging there somewhere. And, uh, you know, everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. He wasn't a 
the holdouters one he had a lot of whiskey makers back in those days too he furnished them all the sugar and the grain and stuff he helped guys and i know an old friend of mine that old sid delplane he used to sell buick cars he said henry come in here one day and he said say he said i've got to leave and be gone here for a week or two and he said oh so and so is going to be in here and get a get a new car and he said i'll pay you when i get back and they did you know they did just what they said they do but one of these whiskey makers or something you know would, uh, they was illegal to have whiskey and making it especially so anyway it just uh, that's the way it, things turned out back then you know it was a kind of an honor system and uh, but old Sid Delplane, I knew him real well, and he knew Henry Grammer, and, and he was a car salesman too, and and that's how they, they got along. You know, if God needed something, but he'd get it if it's life or death, you know. But, but I know that uh, in this book that I read here, that he had killed a guy, he plagued the guy out that stair open, and, and that. Yeah, that old boy went to causing a lot of trouble. So he just pulled out his gun and shot him. So, <laughs> you think you know he who he was talking to causing the trouble? Yeah, <laughs> you think he knew old Henry? Yeah, you don't want to mess with Henry. Yeah. Well, uh, the history books say he got killed in a car wreck. Yeah, but maybe not so much. I think it's true. I do. I mean, but he he maybe was killed before he had the wreck. Yeah, he was shot. He had a convertible car, and there's a lady driving it, and the guy was in there, and Henry was in the back seat or something, and they shot him, and then they had a wreck, and they never did finish up what the consequences was, you know, later on, but of course he was dead, but the other people lived, I guess, and, mm -hmm. but he was a well-thought-of guy. Mm -hmm. Everybody. I think he had a whole lot of cash on him when they found him, too, like $4,000, which was a ton of money back then, you know. Sure. Yeah, I've read $10,000. Okay, it might have been ten. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, I read that part of it yeah. in the book, yeah. too. But That's a lot of money to be having in your pocket today, Jimbo. Yeah. $4,000, But He was definitely a legend here in Osage County, you know. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. He must have been able to rope pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah, he was a professional roper but uh in those days you know he was a, a go-getter yeah and uh i know that he had people around him that kind of supported him and done what he asked and some of them guys was gonna go steal something or do this that or another and he got wind of it old henry did and, and he went to them guys and he said do not whatever you do do not do what you're talking about doing. He said, that, that's wrong. <laughs> how, how it was, I don't know. They were going to steal a bunch of stuff and bring it up there to Henry's place. He didn't want it on his place, see? Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody had the respect for him, and, uh, and he wouldn't let nobody go hungry. And uh, that is something that probably was his upbringing or something, but... He was a, I think he come from Texas originally. Might have. And married this Indian woman. Yeah. I know my granddad on my mom's side was part Indians, and uh, 
My great-grandmother and her brother were some of the original. There was uh, 2,900 original Osage people, and then uh, they were... Uh, they're the backbone of the old sage tribe. So anyway, it's still running right now the same way it did when they become uh, old sage county. Them Indians is the ones that brought it to, to a head. And they knew they'd been uh, getting a lot of oil up in Kansas and Oklahoma being right south. And it went right into old sage county. And uh, hell, they just... Went to drilling oil wells. Of course, the Indians had all the uh, oil rights, and they could mine for gold or whatever they wanted to. They didn't have to ask the state for nothing. But and that highway that you guys come over on, well, that was uh, one of the original wagon trains back and forth. But anyway, that's that was kind of before the telephone times, you know. And, if you wanted something taken from Ponk City to Fahuska, there was an Indian that would take that, whatever it was you had to send over there to Fahuska from Ponk City. He said they'd run over there and run back. And uh, he said they'd never eat. They'd take uh, beef and pound it up until it was powdery. And then they'd take a little water and put with it. And... Uh, that was a trip to Pahuska, you know, and stuff. But anyway, this, them was hard times, you know, but it all worked out. So, But they still got all the, the mineral rights in Osage County, and it runs from, from here to Tulsa, right in the north end of Tulsa. So, you know, it was a, it was a necessary thing to, to get it. The oil wells and natural gas, or through to hit gold, it belongs to the Indians. So that's how it works out. So. Did you say that you're an Osage yourself? Yes. Well, that's good. Yeah, just a little bit, you know, probably eighth, maybe. Yes, sir. But yeah, I read something here a few years ago. They said there's only uh, seven or eight full bloods left in this in the Osage tribe. Could be, yeah. And then I looked up, for some reason, we were out in New Mexico here a few months later after I heard that, and I got to wondering how many Navajos, full bloods there were. So we just looked it up. Yeah. Did you know there's three over 300,000 of those that, really? that, are, that are full blood? Yes. Hmm. So it's, uh, it's really something else. Yeah. Some of that stuff, I mean, it just intrigues me for some reason, so... Just intrigues me. Did you ever get to go to Madison Square Garden and rope? No, that was way before my time. That was before your time. But well, they was going to have a, a a rodeo back there two or three years ago, but they never did have it. I don't think. But yeah, it, this it, old COVID went down yeah, on everybody, yeah. and we haven't heard anything about it since. Yeah. Well, that's uh, used to have the Boston Square and. The, uh, two or three of the big road in Boston, something, and, but a boy that was a neighbor of ours was a bull rider, and uh, he got to go back there one time, and uh, he won one of them big rodeos then, and paid a lot of money, and all he made it home with was uh, two or three of them friends' jackets and all kinds of 
Indian wear and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but he bought and spent all his money. Had him a good time. Yeah. Oh, was that Jake Williams or Bob Wagner? Who was that? Bobby Wagner. Ended up being uh, 1960. Something. I can't remember. 60 or 62. I can't remember. World champion bull rider. Yeah, he was. He was a runner-up several years. Yeah. One of the best bull riders to ever live. He grew up right here. We had Jake Williams on the show here just a while back. He told yeah. us lots of good stories on. Bob Wagner was a natural uh, bull rider. He wasn't very tall, but he was real strong. And uh, he wanted to draw the worst bull that they had. And if he drove one of them oldest high lopers, he'd let them fall off. But one of them bad ones, he could do it. But he grew up with us right out in the same neighborhood. He lived with us a lot. Dad would get him horses to break in the wintertime, you know, and stuff. But anyway, it was a, he was pretty interesting what he had got through. And, but he died, uh, I forget what he had, something. He died at San Antonio, I think. He had something internally wrong with him. But, but he, was a, he was made to be a straight bull rider. He was about five foot four or five and strong as a bull and uh, he could do it but he didn't care nothing about horses or nothing but he'd break colts for dad and other people around the neighborhood through the winter and that's all he lived on he never even had a job didn't want a job so but he could he could get himself you know he was a stall walker or something and he didn't want to talk to you or nothing when it come bull riding time. But anyway, he was a he was a pretty good guy. Other than that, I just he was a straight German, and he's always inventing something, you know, all the time. Some of it worked. And sometimes it'd be he'd sell the copyrights to it and stuff like that. That'd be the only thing he'd ever make any money doing. But, Anyway. Yeah, it's a, kind of a strange deal, Jimbo. He started a rodeo association that was going to compete with the professional PRCA, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. Well, anyway, I don't know what happened. I think they ended up kicking a big part of those guys that were going to do that other competing one out of the PRCA, wouldn't let them enter those rodeos. Well, Bob Wagner, he took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. We got the Supreme Court book at the museum over there. But he lost at the end, so right. he lost the case. But that's really something yeah. to take a case all the way to the Supreme Court because, you know, they don't hear but a handful of cases every year, it don't seem yeah. like. You know, what he was trying to do in those days is to get a job that you would buy teams, calf ropers, bulldoggers. You'd have a team on them. And uh, anyway, they they did have a big argument over it. And Bob won it one time, some part of it, and he had $47,000. He beat him. He, he sued him for that much money and got it, and uh, he didn't want it. He wanted them to have teams so if they could survive till spring in the rodeo. That's what it was for. Joe Green was the, uh, the bull riding representative, and he said, Say, you live up over Bob Wagner, and I said, Sure do. He said, would you please tell him to quit messing with the RCA? <laughs> and he said, he just 
tearing up this old rodeo association. He and I told him, I said, you know what he's trying to do? And he said, they no telling what he'd do. I said, he just trying to find a job in the wintertime to ride bulls and have Bronx and stuff. And anyway, that's, that was the starting and the stopping of the, doing anything with the RCA, you know. But it's, uh, he had quite a, quite a tale of stuff that he'd done and made and stuff. He made some spurs one time and uh, it, the contractors wouldn't let him hardly be around the rodeo with them spurs on. And he said, don't ride our bulls with them spurs you got on. <laughs> and he had to quit, you know. But anyway, they would work. They were just, the spur rails was pretty big and they're just real rough and tough. It'd tear hide and all off them old bulls. Help you stay on them. Oh, yeah. That's a, but he's always coming up with something. And what about the Dewey Roundup? Did you ever go there as a kid, watch it? Uh, a kid I was, yes. Can you tell us what you remember about that place? Well, we went over there one time, and uh, I was pretty small, but they uh, had a bad stroke in there, Everett Shaw, and... Uh, What's that little short guy? Ike Rude. Who? Ike Rude. Ike Rude. They had a master open there on grass. And uh, my son, Buck, lives over there about a half mile from it. But anyway, I told him that, and he said, oh, that's not, that's where their high school is now. And I said, well, it was rodeo raining there one time. But anyway, he said, well, that's a little before my time. I said, it was a long way before your time. But anyway, that's a... Uh, that's what we was doing over there, go really to watch that master open, and they had the roping otherwise too. But you know, everybody tells us that rodeo was big as Cheyenne or Pendleton or any of them in its day. Yeah, yeah. People come from everywhere. You know, there'd be I don't know thousands and thousands of people, and all the best cowboys from all over the U.S. would descend in Dewey every year. Yeah. They brought them in from trains from Kansas City. You know, people. Uh, fans. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's right where it was at. And uh, things like that, you know. And, but I wasn't probably about eight, ten years old, maybe. Something like that. But they just all at once, the old stadium fell over. People's, it rotted down. They just regular old wood things. And the sun just clamped and it might have killed somebody or something. They had a, quite a lot. Of, Did it start yeah. fire, Jimbo? Did we read that in that book? I don't think there was a... I don't. It was a big collapse. It just collapsed and really hurt some people. Might have, yeah. Like you said, might have killed some I think people. it killed several people. It might have, and, and that was the end of it. That was the end of her. It seemed like... They don't even have a rodeo in Dewey now. No. Once the largest rodeo in the nation. Yeah. One of them. It in Ada, Oklahoma. Ada was a big rodeo. Yeah. I saw a steer horse down there one time. Bob Crosby was there. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a pretty interesting deal, and there was some people having a horse-cutting contest there before the rodeo started and had a big crowd around it. And Anyway, old, uh, old Bob Crosby got his horse and went out there and slipped the bridle off of him and had a guy ducking and diving in front of him, and the crowd all went over around him, and they made him quit <laughs> so he could get the, 
of what their rodeo was, you know. But I remember that myself. But that's the only time I ever saw Bob Crosby. He was a, he was a wild one, wasn't he? Yeah. I've seen some pictures of him roping steers. And, uh, boy, howdy, I would sure hate to be on that gray horse he's riding or bay horse he's riding in a couple of them because it it does look pretty wild. Uh, well, some of the nastiest jerks I've ever seen. Jimbo said he used to do some of that wild stuff just for fun, he heard. Yeah. Jim, Jim said that he he's known him to cut his cinch, strands on his cinch, and just leave three or four yeah. just to go tie a steer just showing off, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, he would do that. They, they said he broke his leg like six times from having a horse jerked down on him, his right leg. Well, I believe it. I saw an old famous photo of him showing yeah. his leg off to people. He was real proud of all those scars yeah. on his oh, leg because yeah. he was showing them off and and everyone was gathered around looking at it. Well, what was it? Pike told us down there that he used to sit up there at Pendleton, just throw his leg over the saddle horn during the bronc ride and try to rope on them broncs when they come by. <laughs> he and, did. Clark told me that himself. And they said me and old Crosby was sitting there in the shade while the rodeo was going on and he said they rode some wild mules or something. He said when one had come by, he said old Crosby had his leg across his horn. He said they had his rope tied on the horse all the whole time. He said he just throwed that loop out there and picked up both front legs off that horse. He said damn near killed him. Yeah. <laughs> he said people got to watching him more than they did the rodeo <laughs> and made him quit. <laughs> yeah, Pike said that's one of his ambitions to get killed in front of a large crowd. Well, the way it sounds, it must have been. I'm surprised he didn't get it done. Yeah, You know, that's where old uh, Sonny Davis lived in his place at Kenna, New Mexico. And uh, there's a lot of stories told out there, you know, about him that didn't get out of, out of whack about old Crosby. But he was a, something was a little bit wrong with him. I know he broke his leg one time that the guy told me about him and said he... Wouldn't go to the doctor or nothing. He said he took an old inner tube, tied it together at the bottom, and filled it up with cow manure. <laughs> and uh, he come through here one time, going to New York or somewhere back there, and he stopped at my granddad's place. He said, that had the worst smell about it that you ever seen. He said, it wondered, didn't this rot off? So, Good Lord. But uh, he was out there at their place for overnight or something. But that he, just seems like a bad idea. He's a little bit crazy, no kidding. <laughs> they didn't call him Wild Horse Crosby for nothing. <laughs> no, but Clark knew him pretty well. He told a lot of stuff about him, and, and that was uh, interesting to me, you know. Of course, he was all going to the same rodeos yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But he was, uh, he was crazy. I think they found his hat, and it had his billfold and pocket knife and stuff in it, and he ran off a bridge out there and killed himself. That's uh, kind of what Clark, you know, mm -hmm. said, and I would have to believe it. So, did they say he was going down a, like a a hill and lost control of his jeep? And I think it's called is it Bob Crosby yeah. Pass to this day yeah, or right. Wild Horse Pass or something Wild like that? Crosby Ravine or something. They named it after him. Yeah. So he lost control of his. Yeah. I guess he r drove a jeep everywhere with a little horse trailer on it. Well, that. Uh, he he drove them little old jeeps and stuff. That's what he rodeoed out of. So I remember seeing that thing myself. But anyway, he's a he was a person all in a person, you know. 
nobody else could do what he done. So it was a, he was a pickup man up at Cheyenne. And he said them bronc riders, he was a pickup man. He said them bronc riders would look back and see uh, where's Crosby at? And if he was behind them, so they just jump off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of fun, you know. <laughs> but them days is gone. You yeah. Know? Where all did you make the national finals at, Frank, when you were roping? Because it traveled around. It still travels around in the steer roping quite a bit. So what, what were the towns that you roped in when you made the national finals? Well, I think one year we went to uh, Pahuska. Yes, sir. And maybe one at Vanita. And maybe one at uh, McAllister, I think. I think that's the three that, that I went to. But, you know, at that time, I didn't even know what they was talking about, hardly. But this be another roping. But you roped ten heads, see. But... That pic picture behind you, Cody, is Frank at Pahuska, 1964, at the finals. See, he's got his back number on and everything. That's Look a great picture. That steer. That's a great picture. Yep. What do you think about the uh, the arena over there in Pahuska? Oh, that's the best roping in the world, I think. It uh, it was, and uh, they got some new operators in there. And uh, the last time I went over there. Uh, just to watch it, the little cattle would weigh about 550 or something and just run through there like a wild band. And, and they'd throw a trip behind one and go so fast and so hard to the end of it, them cattle would go and hit the ground they'd jump right straight up. And uh, there was a lot of cattle got up that day, but they had to just slow their moat down and, you know, do the right thing. And they could have tied any of them down, but... They just used to these short scores and stuff, but I know we roped some steers at uh, I think it was Anita, and they weighed 940 pounds across the scales. In case they broke one's neck or something, uh, they don't have much to charge for them. So anyway, that's uh, that's a pretty big steers, and they plowed her about a foot deep too. Because when one had hit the ground, you're going to get another jerk. So, and you said that was at Benita. Benita, yeah. You know, if you haven't been to that rodeo grounds, if you're a, if you like the history of rodeo, I would mm -hmm. highly, highly suggest just going to Benita, looking at it. Yeah. It when the rodeo's not even going on, because the way that's built, it's the way they all used to be built. You know, they were really grand big things for the town you know Vanita there's a, that's an old one uh, Burwell Nebraska that's another one that hasn't changed in a long time the way that the the arena is set up and the the grandstands and stuff but do you mean, know there's a uh, some steers we rode one time they was wintered or they was summered here wintered here and summered there and then we roped them and I'm a tell you, when you got the end of it you know you was Better be hanging on. So, but you know they just don't rope them kind no more. But they was fun to rope, really. And uh, to me, it's more fun to rope a horn steer off out in the pasture. He's ducking away from you, and you're ducking away from him. And boy, there'd be some wrecks, you know. But that them days is past. They don't have any horn cattle anymore. So uh, anyway, you know, Jimbo, I just been sitting here thinking about this. 
for a long time, ever since he told me. His dad was a little bit of a roper, roped in the pasture a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Frank taught himself how to rope. Right. And taught himself how to rodeo rope. Right. And guess who else he taught? He has two boys oh. that were real successful rodeo ropers. Bucky and Barry. And that same teaching, he's got grandsons, top 20 in the world. Well, that's really saying something for a guy that taught himself everything and all that thing he taught is still going on today well, in the same ta- bloodline. He, ta- he taught himself so they didn't have to. Yeah. You know, and uh, they didn't have to go through that. But but that's pretty impressive for somebody to uh, learn to take care of those horses and all, and everything goes into that yeah. and still make the national finals, you know. To be one of the top guys in the yeah. world. Yeah, pretty impressive. I think so. <laughs> well, Frank, we sure appreciate you having us in your yeah, house today and sure. telling us all these great rodeo stories and your family stories, and uh, we sure appreciate it. Yeah, we sure thank you. And right over there at the museum, we got a whole deal to Frank and his sons and his grandson and everybody. You can learn about the whole family over there. <laughs> and uh, we'll just see everybody next week right here on the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Thank you, Jimbo. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Frank. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. No, no.